Welcome to Support for Survivors, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse. Our host is Shaughnessy Terrell, an attorney on Cohen and Malad's sexual abuse litigation team and a former deputy prosecuting attorney for the Marion County Prosecutor's Office Special Victims Unit. She will explore resources available to help survivors on their path to healing and how the community can come together to help these survivors and find ways to end sexual abuse. This is Support for Survivors. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Support for Survivors, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse, as well as professionals and allies within the field of sexual abuse and assault. I am your host, Shauna C. Terrell, and I'm an attorney on the sexual abuse litigation team at Cohen and Malad, an Indianapolis law firm litigating on behalf of survivors all across the country. We are pumped today to have attorneys from our Cohen and Malad sexual abuse litigation team joining us. Makes me super happy to get to share the awesome attorneys I get to work with on these cases. We have Greg Laker, our fearless leader, who is chair of our practice group and works very hard every day to keep me in line, some days much more successfully than others. And we also have Amna Thomas, a fellow attorney working hard on behalf of survivors. I am especially thankful for ominous patients and putting up with having to hear my stories and jokes at least 12 times as I keep retelling them even when they aren't funny. So, Greg and Amina, welcome. Thank, Thank you so you. much for taking the time. How are we doing? Doing great. Glad We're to be good. here. I know, you know, this. there's always going to be a little bit of delay between when we uh, record these and when they're published, so I'm not sure if we'll be back to the office yet, but we're still all working diligently from home, and I think it's especially difficult for we extroverts. I'm looking at you mostly, Greg, who's uh, locked away in his basement right now. <laughs> okay, so I wanted to bring you guys on the show that so everyone could hear not only a little bit more about the exact work that we do on behalf of survivors, but also a little bit more about who you are as people and what drives you to do this work. Anyone who works in this field knows it takes a special person with motivation, determination, and a hell of a lot of stamina to hang in there and fight this fight. So let's get to know the two of you a little bit better. Let's start with you, Greg. Can you give us a little background on you and your career? Sure. Thank you, Shaughnessy. I'm happy to. Well, First and foremost, I'm a dad, and being a dad of, of two kids, both now in their 20s, I'm mindful of most of the minor victims that we represent. I, I want to talk to them and their parents as I would my own kids, and I, I try to keep that first and, and foremost in my mind as we're dealing with the survivors of sexual trauma. For the first 10 years of my legal practice, I really concentrated in uh, doing custody cases. And so I really got to know families and I represented dads and moms and learned about their, their particular situation and fought hard for my particular client to either get them custody of their kids or to get them a relationship with their kids when perhaps their spouse wasn't allowing them contact with their kids. From there, my practice kind of transitioned into a personal injury practice with really a focus on doing kid cases. So for the past 25 years, I've literally done thousands of cases involving kids, both before and after I started doing sexual trauma cases, and have litigated cases all over the country that involve injuries and deaths of minors. So when I first did my, my first sexual trauma case about 25 years ago, uh, it was just a natural consequence of 
the importance of kids to me and to my family and uh, tried to use that as my motivation in doing these cases throughout my career. I do want to stop real quick and just point out for listeners how amazing that is that you have been doing this for so long. I think that that is unique. I don't think that there have been many attorneys in the state of Indiana or nationally who have actually done these cases for that length of time. That's very um, special. And I'm certainly thankful that you're doing it because that's why we're here. Amina, why don't you share with us a little bit about your background? Sure. So I'm actually from Ohio. I came here to Indiana, I think it was about almost eight years ago, no, seven years ago for law school, graduated from McKinney here in Indianapolis four years ago. And then I clerked for two different female judges. One is Judge Melissa May on the Indiana Court of Appeals and the other Judge Heather Welch on the Marion County Superior Court One. So um, that's kind of my background before joining Cohen and Malad. I joined Cohen and Malad about a little over a year ago, but I think having been at the court, it really gave me an awesome perspective of what kind of legal issues and practical issues that courts focus on and what they want to see from lawyers when you're presenting your case. So I'm really grateful to have had that opportunity and privilege before joining a firm like Cohen and Malad. Yeah, that's a really important point. If, if we have law students out there listening in, the opportunities that clerkships can provide for you and seeing litigation up front on a totally different perspective than either party sees it. It's absolutely enlightening. I've had the same experience when I clerked as a young lawyer, and you obviously were very fortunate to have clerked for two absolutely amazing judges. That's super awesome. And obviously a boon for Cohen and Malad. Greg, you touched on this a little bit, but could you go into a little bit more detail about what drives you to do this work specifically? Because as we talked about a couple of minutes ago, it is not common for an attorney, a plaintiff's attorney, and certainly for an attorney with your skill and experience to specialize in these cases. So what is it that drives you to do this kind of work? Well, I would say that having been through trauma-informed training so that we understand how the sexual trauma affects our clients, both acutely and long-term, we appreciate that there are going to be decisions and there's going to be issues that affect our client throughout their lifetime that they're going to have to deal with. And I think that our firm, better than, than others, at least here in Indiana, appreciates just that long-term consequences that our clients are likely to have as a result of sexual trauma. And so one of the things that really drive settlements in our cases is being able to get enough money and making sure that our clients get the right type of therapy so that not only are they getting therapy to get through the acute trauma, but as bad things happen in their life that's related to that sexual trauma, they've got money set aside in a fund that they can use for therapy for the rest of their life as kind of they go through the peaks and valleys that happen to all survivors of sexual trauma. I guess the other thing that I want to touch on, and this really drives me, is that so many of our clients that call, by the time they finally report the sexual trauma, their statute of limitations is gone. And Shaughnessy, you know that we as a firm have spent a ton of time and money in the last few years trying to make a positive change to the statute of limitations in Indiana. 
Um, we continue to work with experts around the country to try to make change, as well as with lobbyists in Indiana and with our senators in trying to educate them why the statute of limitations in Indiana needs to change, why there are so many people that don't come forward until after the statute is expired. And in those cases, we can't help them. So that certainly drives me and drives our firm. And that's one of the things that we hope to change at some point in the not too distant future. Going into that a little bit more, I think, and listeners are going to hear me just talk about this over and over, but it's so important because I think that the average person who hasn't been through this or doesn't have a loved one who's been through this, they don't understand the long-term effects of sexual abuse on a person and how it follows them forever in different ways that manifests in one way or another. And our laws just aren't protective of those people based on the knowledge that we have, that it takes so long for people to come forward oftentimes and the damage that is done is deep. So us fighting to do that is something I know that we're all very proud of. You know, Amita, what about you? You came to Kona Malad to do this work fresh off of these clerkships that set you up to really do whatever you wanted. Why did you choose this work? That's a great question. I think it really goes back to why I wanted to be a lawyer, why I wanted to go to law school. And it was now that I'm an adult, I think I've kind of been able to reflect on it. And growing up, I've always just wanted to help marginalized groups, you know, and individuals that don't have a voice. I think that a lot of attorneys, that's why they become attorneys. And growing up, I never realized it at the time, but I was part of a marginalized group. And I'm not a survivor of sexual abuse, but I grew up with an immigrant mother and a single mother. And I saw her kind of just struggle with daily aspects of life that maybe your average middle-class white American might not. And I just always saw lawyers as members of society that were really able to take on issues and make a situation right for people that might not otherwise be able to do that. And so we have so many different groups in our society that are marginalized and suppressed. And I think survivors of sexual abuse have been one of those marginalized, suppressed groups for a really long time. And there is finally kind of some momentum for these people to come forward and share their story and get the strength to do that. I just want to be able to help them with my legal skills and the strengths that I have to kind of push that momentum forward. And I think our firm is really good at recognizing that we're all human and um, we all have struggles and trauma. And even though we might not necessarily have a history of sexual abuse, we've all had trauma that we've undergone. And we're able to find that within ourselves to have empathy for our clients. I'm sure you both have had this said to you by friends and even other lawyers. They're like, well, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you do that kind of work. Like I could never do that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, we've all had things that we've gone through and we all have it in us to find empathy for people, even though you might not have necessarily gone through that. That is so nice to hear, you know, you say those things. I know you, but everybody else doesn't know you. And it, again, it is not necessarily common to have an attorney who can do whatever they want truly and go into whatever field they want and probably make a lot of money and 
maybe not care so much about those marginalized groups, which is a perfect segue into what my next question was going to be. Uh, and that's for you, Greg. Talking specifically about Cohen and Malad, even outside of sexual abuse, can you tell listeners what our mission as a firm is and what kind of work our attorneys do? Because it's, it's a lot of different stuff. It is, Shaughnessy. And, and one of the cool things about Cohen and Malad is we celebrated our 50th anniversary as a firm just a couple of years ago. And so we've so, been around for a long time. It is amazing to me how our firm has changed and adapted and, and remodeled ourselves time and time again. And, and the, the sexual assault practice is, is an example of that as we saw more and more of a need to represent these folks that were way underrepresented in Indiana. We took on this as a practice group and started doing it as part of our practice. So our firm is comprised of 25 or 26 or 27 lawyers, depending on the day. We represent people in all kinds of cases from family law matters, custody cases, to hourly cases, to real estate transactions, and probably the bread and butter of our practice are the two big contingent practice groups, which would be class action and personal injury. And I'm the chair of the personal injury group. Like my group, class action in our firm has a national reputation. We do cases all over the country. Erwin Levin, Richard Shevitz, and a number of our partners have been appointed as lead lawyers in class action cases that have gotten national attention, concrete antitrust cases closer to home, the license plate scandal in Indiana, nursing home issues, uh, just a host of consumer cases that our class action group has done and and literally has become not only the go-to firm in Indiana, but one of the go-to firms in the country for really complex antitrust and class action cases. We had a a meeting just a week or so ago where we welcomed a new law clerk, a couple new law clerks to the firm. And we went through all the different parts of my PI department and what we do. And it really is pretty amazing the different types of cases we do just within my personal injury practice group. And we do your typical car crash and, and truck cases and slip and fall cases and a very traditional personal injury practice but we also do some very complex medical malpractice cases, including some what we call mass medical malpractice cases that involve literally doctors who were performing either unnecessary or inappropriate surgeries on our clients. And we had one case involving an ENT, Dr. Weinberger, where we had 288 clients in that mass tort, and we were successful in getting an excellent settlement against him, his practice group, and the state of Indiana for our 288 clients. And we just similarly resolved a similar case against a cardiologist by the name of Dr. Gandhi, who was putting in unnecessary pacemakers and defibrillators in our clients. And again, that case involved more than 280 clients that we successfully resolved that case against Dr. Gandhi, his practice group, his partners, and the state of Indiana. We do probably as much medical malpractice as any firm in the state, and we have an excellent team of medical malpractice lawyers led by David Cutshaw uh, and myself to some degree, although I don't do as, as much of that as David does because of the sexual abuse cases that I'm working on now. We have a drug and device practice that is certainly active 
throughout the country where we do all kinds of cases involving dangerous or defective drugs or products. One of my favorite cases was cases involving shoulder pain pumps in young athletic people. And I represented a ton of kids who basically had their shoulder cartilage destroyed as a result of a, a shoulder pain pump that had never been approved for use in a shoulder joint, but yet was being marketed regularly to orthopedic surgeons for that. And we litigated those cases all over the country for about four or five years before that litigation finally resolved. And that's an overview. And obviously uh, the, the newest practice group that involves you and Amina is our sexual assault group. And we literally have been doing these cases for a long time, but just in the last four or five years, we've really decided to ramp up that part of our practice and it's becoming you know, a huge part of, of our practice on a daily basis. And we're representing people not just in Indiana, but throughout the country. It's really cool to hear about all these different things that the firm's done over the course of time. And I obviously see a theme here. It's just like what Mamana was talking about, representing people who maybe have no voice and helping to give power to that and showing that no person or entity is too big for us to fight back against. Corporations, you know, drug companies, hospitals, the Bureau of Motor Vehicles, the Department of Children's Services. And I don't know if people know this, but our firm was a part of the litigation on behalf of Holocaust survivors in the 90s, suing Bayer Aspirin and Swiss banks. And it truly, to some extent, does feel like a David versus Goliath kind of thing that we have going on here. And I know that you've been a part of a lot of those different litigations over the course of time. Are there any cases that kind of stick out to you uh, the most that you want to highlight briefly? Well, I, I touched on a couple of them. Uh, probably the two favorite cases that I've worked on today was the case that involved a drug called Primpro, which caused breast cancer in clients. You just become extremely close to a client who was suffering from and going through treatment for her breast cancer, many of whom got very sick and we had to deal with depositions before they died and, and literally trying to get a woman on her deathbed deposed so that you could get all the elements that you needed to prove her case was a really moving, touching, powerful part of, of my training as a young lawyer. And then the shoulder pain pump cases Literally, we, we litigated those cases all over the country and took some of the most powerful depositions, including deposing the CEO of iFlow Corporation multiple times and getting some great tidbits from his deposition that we kidded the lawyer in our firm that took that. He literally had some of those depo clips as his ringtone for a while. He was <laughs> proud of some of the incredible statements that he got the CEO to make. That was a case that was really should have been prosecuted criminally based on some of the things that that company was doing. But it was super rewarding because our clients in those cases were young, mostly young teenage athletes that had their whole life in front of them. And they were either pitchers or tennis players or swimmers or gymnasts. And they went from being incredibly active and fit and youthful having their whole athletic careers ahead of them, ending up with shoulder replacements at 25 or 30 and not being able to use one of their limbs. So those are two cases that were extremely 
motivating, powerful cases that I've enjoyed working on over the years. And hearing you talk about it and knowing how passionate you are about it and hearing that within your voice as you speak about it, it just reminds me of what the lure of this firm was for me. And I think it's probably the same thing for Amina. I was perfectly happy doing what I was doing, prosecuting and teaching other prosecutors and law enforcement officers how to do these cases. And then I get a call from Irwin and Greg and, you know, a couple weeks later, there I was. <laughs> and truly, that is a testament to how wonderful this firm is. And it's such a great group of people who are trying to do right by people who not everyone thinks of or supports or advocates for. So it's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Let's dive deeper into sexual abuse representation specifically. Um, I know you touch on this a little bit, but Greg, how long has Cohen and Malad been doing these kinds of cases, the sexual abuse cases? I would say that three lawyers in our firm, Dan Chamberlain, Erwin Levin, and I have all done sexual assault cases on and off for more than 25 years. It was never a big part of our practice, but when one, one of those cases would come in, we would do them and we did them well, but it was a small part of our practice. We've been doing them forever. And, and over the course of 25 years, we've done a lot of them. But like I said, in the last four or five years, we've really decided to concentrate on and making uh, these cases a, a bigger part of our practice, a daily part of our practice, a part of our practice that we are advertising and marketing for. We're trying to get some ads on TV that we have running now that hopefully will inform the public that there's somebody out there that will be a voice for the people that previously didn't have a voice. Very much an underserved component of the legal market. There just aren't a lot of lawyers that do this kind of stuff. And because we've been doing it for 25 years, we've certainly developed a lot of connections within the state of Indiana and beyond with our partners who do the trauma and the therapy and relationships with people that we can use and refer our clients to around the state and beyond to help them get help because we know they're going to have issues with holding down a job and struggling with drug and alcohol addictions and being able to maintain a relationship and, and just those other problems that we see time and again in our clients that we we as a firm have developed relationships over the years with partners that we can literally help refer our clients to to get the help that they need. Why do you think that our firm has been the one that's had the courage to do this? Because truly not many plaintiff's firms or plaintiff's attorneys generally want anything to do with this kind of stuff because it is so difficult. So why, how did you guys decide that you had the courage to go forward and advocate on behalf of these survivors? This is a labor of love for our firm, Shaughnessy, because these are not high profit, uh, easily resolved cases. These cases involve years of litigation. Most of our clients are going through a criminal proceeding when they come to us. That oftentimes causes the case to sit around for a year and sometimes longer while the criminal matter resolves. And then once we file the civil case, uh, you're looking at another, you know, two or three or four years to litigate all the issues that you have to. And almost always in these cases, there are issues of insurance that come up, ex exclusions because of intentional acts and other things that you have to fight. So we often end up fighting a deck action or more than one deck action in each particular case. So 
unless the firm is truly motivated to do these cases for the right reasons and not simply a for-profit reason, that's why it's an underserved part of the legal community. And, and we've made a, a nice living, a comfortable living over the years doing cases that are really risky that may or may not be particularly profitable and because it's a, a part of the community that needs to be served. And, and that's why we took on these cases and we've, we've done them and done them well and knew that there just weren't enough lawyers that were doing these kind of cases. And we wanted to be able to kind of ramp up this group within our firm so that we could handle the clients that have been afraid to come forward because they couldn't find a lawyer or, um, you know, they couldn't get anybody to even return their phone calls when they called in with a sexual assault case. I know that we hear that a lot when we get calls that people have called around a lot and can't seem to get anyone who seems to be interested or says things that, you know, these other lawyers aren't typically trauma informed. And so they'll say things that they don't understand are offensive and traumatic and bring everything back up for people. I do want to point out that we drop, we drop a lot of legal terms as we go through and it's just second nature to us. And I think a lot of people don't know what those things mean, but suffice it to say that it ain't easy work and there's a lot that goes into it, but for us certainly as a team and for our firm, it is worth it at the end of the day because somebody has to stand up for these people and somebody has to look forward. I'm not talking five minutes from now, but we're looking forward down the line years for these people because we know that they're going to need the help and they need somebody who is experienced and skilled in litigation who's going to help them. And that's why we're here. Coming off of that, I'm going to, why do you think that Cohen and Malad is different than other firms? What do you think sets us apart? So I think you touched on it a little bit, Shaughnessy. You know, we're one of the only plaintiff's firms that is trauma-informed. We go through extensive trauma-informed training. The three of us have gone through it at least once or twice, and all of our staff has. So anytime someone calls our office to ask about their case or whether they might have a claim, they can take comfort in knowing that they're going to be handled in an appropriate way and in a trauma-informed way. You know, in addition to that, I think we touched on it a little earlier. Our firm is just not like other firms in that we're not here to bill hours. We don't come in, make sure we have our billables in for the day and go home. Our clients' cases are our cases, and we do everything in our power to make sure that they get what they need at the end of the day, no matter how long it takes or hopefully little it takes, you know, we're really here for them and we're going through what they're going through right alongside of them. And you and I have gone out to Muncie, Indiana to eat at a Mexican <laughs> restaurant if, if that's, you know, what our clients want to do. So we're just here for them. And I think we're really approachable and reachable for our clients. So I love that about our firm. Absolutely. Greg, how about you? What do you think sets us apart? I'm going to tell a quick story, if you don't mind, that kind of, I think, sets Cohen and Malad apart from other firms. I got a call from a young mom who had literally talked to four lawyers and been turned down by four other firms before she got my name. And uh, actually, a divorce lawyer who was representing her mom referred her to me to represent her 12-year-old daughter who'd been sexually abused by her step-grandfather who was married to my client's mother. 
I knew that it was probably unlikely that there would be any insurance that would pay that claim. But from talking to the divorce lawyer, I knew that the perpetrator had some money and had some assets and had accumulated some money by working at Allison's for a number of years. And so I took the case purely in hopes that I could find some money that he had gathered that wasn't in a 401k that we couldn't go after. And in getting into the case, I developed some facts that suggested to me that his wife, who did own a home and who did have homeowner's insurance, was aware of some red flags that were going on within the marital residence that suggested that she should have done something to protect this little girl and she didn't. So not only in that case were we able to get a significant settlement from the perpetrator from the assets that he'd accumulated throughout his work life, but we also brought in the homeowner's insurance company and we recovered a policy limit offer from the homeowner's insurance policy because we were able to prove that this woman who should have been supervising and protecting this little girl didn't do that and allowed things to go on within her house that were completely inappropriate. And at the end of the day, after fighting off a motion for summary judgment, we got the insurance company for the homeowner's policy wow. to pay their entire limit. That case stands out to me as a case that shows that Cohen and Malad is different because in that case, four other law firms had turned that down and we turned it into a very profitable case and a case where that little girl doesn't have to worry about where she's going to get money for counseling that she'll probably need for the rest of her life. That's awesome. Strategic legal thinking uh, on the behalf of your client to figure out who we could go after to really do right by her. So it's really cool to hear. I, I do want to point out some of the other things that we do. We have a lot of uh, pro bono efforts. We take on some cases for free, not as many as we would love to do, of course, but we do some of that. We do a lot of community service. Each of us serves on boards of directors, both locally and nationally. We have a hand in trying to reform that legislation, as Greg talked about earlier, trying to make it recourse more accessible for survivors so that when they are ready to take that next step forward in civil or criminal litigation, that they're able to do it. And additionally, we also provide a fair amount of speaking engagements and training both throughout the state of Indiana and also nationally, which is something that I think that we all enjoy doing. And I think it shows too that we're not just on the reactive side of this. Of course, we're here for our survivors who have been through it and try to help them go get through the next step, but we're also proactive. We're trying to engage in those efforts to eradicate this. You know, I, I don't think it's probably possible, but we're putting our money where our mouth is and trying every day to do what we can as responsible citizens and attorneys to try to stop this, to try to get rid of this so these kids and adults as well don't have to go through this anymore. I want to end with a brief statement from each of you about our goals for the future and where we hope to go from here and um, helping survivors. Greg, you're up first. Okay. I guess I would say that the two primary goals that we have as a firm is that, number one, we recently started running ads on TV, which our goal in running those ads is to encourage those survivors of sexual trauma to finally come forward and talk to someone. So many of our clients have been keeping this inside and bottling it up and trying to deal with it internally for years. And we hope that our ads are a catalyst 
to get some of our clients to actually do something, to come forward and to make a call that they've put off doing for years because they didn't know what law firm does this kind of work and they were afraid to reach out and call a lawyer for fear that they wouldn't get any help. Hopefully our ads show them that there is a law firm who's interested in these cases and want to try to help our, our clients and survivors. I would say the second primary goal that we as a firm have is changing the statute of limitations in Indiana. Lawyers that do these cases know that a statute of limitations is a, is a strict time deadline that if you don't file a lawsuit by a certain date, your client forever loses the right to file a lawsuit. And right now in Indiana, for victims of child sexual abuse, so when a, a minor is sexually abused, they have until age 25 to come forward and file a lawsuit. And if they wait one day past their 25th birthday, their right to file a lawsuit is forever extinguished. With the average age of reporting being age 52, for people that are sexually abused as a minor, that's the average age when someone comes forward and reports. That just can't happen. And so we hope to make some meaningful change to the Indiana statute of limitations so that so many of our clients that we had to say, I'm sorry, we can't help you right now because of the statute of limitations. Hopefully someday we can get the law changed so that we can help those people. Such an important point. And I want to point out again, because we do take cases all over the country, that these statutes of limitations vary widely state by state. Indiana's certainly not one of the best. In fact, it's one of the worst. There have been other states with recent changes that are really helping California, New Jersey, New York. A lot of been, work has been done by Child USA and other organizations to get these SOLs changed throughout the country so that we can actually help so many of these people because there are so many people who are going without help and all of us are, our hands are bound by the, the state of the law and it's unfortunate. Uh, Amina, how about you? What do you think in terms of goals and looking to the future? Sure. So just to piggyback on what Greg said, definitely, definitely the statutes of limitations need to be changed. I'd also like us to get to a point as a society where these kinds of cases are no longer stigmatized. That's starting to change, definitely. It starts with the survivors and their bravery in coming forward. And I think we as lawyers need to see that through with litigating these cases and litigating them well. That's what's going to change these cases. You know, you don't see the stigma as much with drug and medical device cases and medical malpractice cases. No one's pointing to the victim when you know, a medical malpractice case goes wrong. And if a doctor uh, botches your surgery, mm -hmm. they're not saying, oh, well, he really put himself in that position <laughs> to get that surgery messed up. But they're still saying that about survivors of sexual abuse. And so I want us to get to a point where we're just saying it's as simple as this perpetrator did something very, very wrong and they need to pay for what they did. And it's as simple as that. And like I said, I think we as lawyers really need to see that through. That's very well said and something that is pervasive throughout our system that I think a lot of people don't understand. I've tried cases of all sorts. And I can tell you that a jury on a robbery case looks at the facts much differently than a jury on a sex crimes case because of worldview and cultural issues that we have. And that's just an uphill battle. But you're right. It is our responsibility to keep it going and trying to make it better every day. Is there anything else that you guys can think of that we haven't covered that you want to point out that you think would be important for anyone who's listening to hear? I think we've covered about everything, Shaughnessy. I, I appreciate you having us on your show. <laughs> You're this welcome. Fun. 
We have a good time. You know, it's important work that we do, but you also have to have some humor. And I think that we do pretty well with that. So Greg and Amina, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I truly appreciate all that both of you do to fight for survivors. And I'm proud to work alongside you each day. Probably see you about four more times today on various Zoom appointments. So (laughs) thank you. And obviously, thank you to our listeners. If you're tuning in here, you care. If you find value in our program, please continue to tune in and to share this podcast with others. As always, please submit any questions or requests for guests at supportforsurvivors.com. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.